Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest is Adrian Griffiths, the CEO and co-founder of Recycling Technologies. And the website is recyclingtechnologies.co.uk. So, Adrian, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Richard. Yeah. Yeah, I've always been uh, interested in, in recycling. You know, I know it's probably weird, but uh, I, I just always been fascinated with it. Tell me what uh, you guys do. Um, well, we uh, make a machine which recycles um, plastic. Um, that's on everybody's minds at the moment. It's the kind of plastic which ends up in the ocean, the, the sort of plastic which uh, people find difficult to recycle or don't recycle at all. We recycle that back into oil, um, and then that oil goes back to the petrochemical companies uh, that make the plastic in the first place, and, and they turn it back into more plastic. Huh. Yeah, I know a little bit. There's um, plastic number this and number that. Number, you know, what, what are, um, what's a brief survey of the different types of plastic out there you know, where are they used and which is the one you're focusing on? Well, um, you know, and obviously uh, we, we all got used to plastic in our lives and uh, whether it's actually from the, uh, you know, the sort of drinks bottles, which everybody recognizes and the plastic bags, which everybody now hates. Um, uh, but, but, you know, plastic has a, a fantastic, does a fantastic job for us um, in packaging, particularly. Um, it keeps our food fresh, um, which actually saves an enormous amount of carbon. Um and it, it allows us to actually move things around in lightweight packaging rather than glass or metal. Um, and so the, the carbon footprint of plastic packaging is, is it really is a truly miracle material. Um, but obviously, at the end of its life, um, it's a very different story at the moment. And we're, we're all becoming uh, depressingly familiar with, with the problem of, of, of plastic going out to the Far East and plastic getting into rivers and plastic getting into the ocean. And so we, we set up to look at all types of plastic. Um, whether it's the packaging plastic or the packaging and the you know the stuff on the inside the cars and the stuff that's actually in buildings, um, you know it's 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 all a great material. Um, and so we looked for a process which could actually equally apply to any old plastic. Why is it uh, so hard to recycle plastic? Why is it so resilient? And what what's been like the big bottlenecks in uh, recycling it? I, I mean, look at. Plastic is actually uh, always, or it's typically very recyclable, particularly what you call the uh, the, the polyolefin type plastics, you know, the, the polythenes and the, the PETs as well, and the polystyrenes. I mean, the, these things are all recyclable, so long as you can get them as as separate polymer types and the right kind of colors. Um, and, and you can imagine that when you're actually trying to sort up, you know, consumer waste, um, it's very difficult to get the polymers separate and get them the right colors and to make sure that they're not contaminated. Um, so theoretically, you know, if you get polythene and you actually got it and it's separate and it's, it's the right color, um, then it's recyclable. Um, but the, the problem comes in just that. It's, it's trash, it's waste. Um, and so people find it very hard to actually uh, um, get sufficient quantities that are the, exactly the same polymer 
and you know they're not a, a crazy colors um and then to be able to make something that's of sufficient quality as a recycled pellet to make a good material uh, another good product out of and so it's 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 a challenge to actually try and get the very best material um so that it can be used for any purpose what tends to happen is is that you end up with uh, getting material which is is low quality you make a low quality pellet and then you can only use it for um, appropriate uses. And so, you know, um, drinks bottles will typically turn back into um, polyester, um, which will be used if it's good for clothing, if it's not so good for carpets, um, but that not for a drinks bottle. Um, you know, so things like milk bottles actually tend to turn up as wood replacement products, you know, railway sleepers, park benches, fence panels, that kind of stuff, which is great because it gives them an extra life. But they're not turning back into more milk bottles, you know? Yeah, I, I've heard that called downcycling instead of recycling or upcycling. Sounds like what you guys are doing is truly recycling. Well, exactly. So, you know, look, there's 322 million tons of plastic gets used in the world each year. Um, you know, and that's a figure that's growing. And, and I, I don't think that, you know, we should be worried about the fact that it's growing because the carbon footprint of plastic is much, much better than actually glass or metal or paper bags or or even allowing your food to go off and, and waste, you know? So so the plastic is not the enemy here. It's, it's the ability to recycle it. And currently in the world, there's only 14% of plastic packaging that's collected for recycling. Only 10% gets recycled, but you're quite right. 8% of that is actually is, is downcycled or cascade recycled, whatever people want to use as a terminology, and that, that the bottle is turning into a park bench or a railway sleeper. Um, and, and so what we wanted to do was actually say, well, okay, let's, let's actually come up with something which actually deals with the 90%, which is actually being buried or burnt or lost. Um, and let's turn that back into the oil that that um, plastic originally came from. It started life as oil. It became plastic. Let's take it back to the start. Now you can make more virgin quality plastic with recycled content. Well, I mean, without letting you know proprietary info slip out, what can you say about how you turn plastics back into their, uh, their primeval oil components? Um, well, it's actually um, a really old process. Um, you know, I think man first discovered it probably when he turned wood into charcoal. Um, and many years ago, particularly in a, you know a lot of places, people turned coal into into town gas. Um, and, and so it's a process called thermal cracking. Um, and so if you take a, a plastic, which is a, a hydrocarbon, um, in a plastic form, it has it's a very long molecule. So it may have a, a few thousand carbon atoms in the molecule. And, and by thermal cracking, what you're basically doing is you're fracturing that long molecule into lots of shorter ones. So it started life as relatively short molecules. Um, people might be familiar with that. Uh, you know, gasoline, which would actually be uh, typically have eight carbon atoms in it, uh, so the octane. Um, and you know, so you're breaking it back down into things which are in the in the sort of C5 to C30, 40 range, rather than actually them being C2000 or 3000 when it's actually in the plastic. And so it's an old process of thermal cracking, um, and 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 you're turning it back. So 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 what you do is you just cook it at temperature, but without any oxygen, so it can't burn. And so at about 500 degrees, no, no oxygen, you get that thermal cracking process taking place. Are you able to, to use like retrofitted oil refinery equipment to do this? Because I know they have hydro crackers and stuff like that there. That sounds like it would be pretty suited to doing this kind of work. And it's at scale too. 
Um, well, well, exactly. So, you know, so in all of the technology that we use is actually um, very commonplace in a oil refinery uh, or a petrochemical type facility. Um, but scale is the interesting thing here. So you could conceptually build one oil refinery somewhere in the world and you could take every piece of plastic in the world to that refinery and you could do what we do. And everybody looks at you and says, you're crazy. You know, if you never move that amount of plastic that far. And therein is the problem, because the reason the plastic is a fantastic packaging material, it's very lightweight and it's very low cost. When it's waste plastic, it's still very lightweight and it's now valueless uh, in a lot of cases. And so, you know, moving it large distances that the, you know, the economics that don't stack up. So our innovation here was to actually shrink a refinery right down into a series of shipping containers and the six shipping containers which we then can mass produce to get the capital cost down we then transport those to waste centers or recycling centers around the world this is the plan um, and and then you take the plastic that's already there um, at small scale and so um, each one of our machines would actually do about 7,000 tons a year um, and, and, and turn that back into oil um, now, oil is obviously very transportable. You know, you you may get eight or ten tons in the back of a um, a wagon um, of plastic, um, unless you bale it, of course, um, which is which is adding more more cost to the process. But it, but if you don't have a baler, you may get eight ten tons in the back of a truck. Um, whereas actually, you know, by the time you actually um, um, turn it back into the oil, um, you can get thirty odd tons on the back of a truck, depending on which country you're in, obviously, but. Yeah, so yeah. there's about a six to one ratio between the cost of moving plastic around to the cost of moving oil around. Well, where are the juiciest sources of plastic for you guys to use? Is it coming from landfills, you know, from harvesting the patch in the ocean, uh, from, you know, I don't know, different facilities? Like, where do you get it from where it's the best source, the most plentiful okay. for you? So, so um, really, it's wherever there's people. Um, and so what we're trying to do is actually provide a machine um, that can be used by the waste system or the waste industry in whichever country so that they can deal with the plastic on land. And so, you know, um, if we think about the fact that 86% of plastic in the ocean comes from 10 rivers, eight of those rivers are in the Far East. Um, in, in, a lot of those, in a lot of those economies, um, People will recycle the plastic, which they can recycle. In other words, they can separate the polymers. They've got the right colors. They can, and they've got a product that they can make out of the, 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 the material that they recycle. So they recycle what they can. And then what you can't, what are you going to do with it? You know, you can either burn it or you can bury it or you throw it in the river. Um, and sadly, yeah. um, it, in, a, in a lot of the Far Eastern kind of context, a lot of it ends up in the river. And so our ambition is to actually... Uh, Build machines, um, establish them uh, alongside rivers and and alongside villages and towns in those sorts of uh, territories. Well, um, I'll, I'll come back to Europe and America in a moment. But if you think, stay with me for the Far East, um, that you could actually then, um, you know, entrepreneurs could set these things up as franchises, actually pay people to bring the plastic to them, so that instead of people throwing it in the river and discarding it as value less, they actually bring it to a centre and sell it for value um, because you can actually get sufficient value from the oil that comes from the process to pay for the machine and the operation and be able to pay a little bit for the plastic so that you actually motivate people to, to want to recycle the plastic. 
And so by doing that, what we want to do is change the drivers so that on land, people don't think that actually let's throw it in the river because that's how you get rid of it. They, they want right. to get money for it. And so um, you, you, you just completely change the dynamic and reduce the drivers for, for dumping. Yeah, like when I was a kid, you know, we used to take our uh, our cans and bottles to the recycling center and we get like five cents for each one. And it was cool. Exactly. I'd get Christmas money from it. But it was a nice incentive. It was really rewarding to take all that stuff and get money for it. So I can see why the same thing would work, the same incentive. Um, what kind of, you said it, it's cracked back into oil, but what kind of oil? I mean, what can, you know, there's crude oil, which has, can make many, many things. But what kind of oil is this? What could it be used for? Um, yeah, it's, it's, well, it's not very different to a fraction of, of crude oil. So typically that you take a crude oil and you, 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 you fracture it down or you distill it down into the, uh, the fuels. Um, and then the very light stuff is called naphtha. Um, and that typically mm-hmm. is the fraction that's used to make plastics. Um, but, but, you know, the, the start of the plastic making process is a, is a cracker um, and it'll, it'll fracture it all back down into a gas. Um, and so any old oil can be put into the cracker or, you know, uh, it, 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 not quite any old oil, but certainly the kind of oil that we make uh, can be put back into a steam cracker. Um, and then that becomes the start of the process for, for making more plastics. So the best use of this uh, oil that you, you bring back is uh, to make it into plastic again, not into anything else, not to be burned for fuel or? Well, I mean, look, it's it's um, it's oil, so you can use it for whatever you use oil for. And so, you know, we've run engines on it. Um, it's actually a very low sulfur fuel. Um, and so we've had quite a lot of interest from the marine industry uh, where they're trying to clean up their act. They're trying to introduce low sulfur fuels. And this would actually work extremely well in a, in a marine kind of uh, engine as a low sulfur heavy fuel oil. Um, but you know, you you ask yourself the question: Is that really the right thing to do with um, with, with fossil fuels? You know, um, I I can envisage a time. You know, okay, maybe take twenty or thirty years, but but people will stop burning fossil fuels simply for its energy. That that fossil materials will only be used as the feedstocks for making more chemicals or for making products um, such as plastic. And so we wanted to kind of bypass the the fuel stage. Because ultimately, fuel is is using a material as an energy source, um, right. and, and and we sort of say, well, look, you know, there's got to come a time where we actually get energy from different kind of um, approaches, you know, wind and solar and, and and so on and so forth. And so, just using you know the the material as a fuel um, is not it, it's really energy coming from what was waste, um, and it's not really recycling. Whereas actually, if you're turning, you know, a bottle and you're taking it back, well, not a bottle, maybe a, a meat tray or a, a plastic bag or a, a film or a, a wrapper, you know, a, a laminated material, a food pouch, you know, all of the things that people associate with difficult right. to recycle stuff. If you're turning that back into um, an oil and you're making it back into another wrapper or another food pouch or another black tray, um, whatever the case might be, then then that's truly recycling. Well, what's weird to me, you know, again, I'm not on the inside of this industry, but what's odd to me is why is so little plastic recycled and why do people make park benches out of everything, it seems? And, you know, why come you guys are able to do it? And it sounds like it's not too terribly difficult. You know, maybe I'm shortcutting the process, but how come you're doing it and no one else does? Why is it so poor that, you know, why hasn't this happened more at scale? 
I, I mean, I mean, look, you know, um, t today we actually uh, we, we get used to technology, don't we? I mean, uh, you know, and, and until the, um, the, the the sort of uh, computer came out, everybody was uh, didn't know what a computer did. And then, you know, now everybody thinks, well, a computer, everybody can make a computer. Why don't you use a computer for everything? You know, everything has to have its time, the, the time that it's born. Um, and, and so I guess up till now, people have not really thought too hard about actually recycling. Certainly, they've not thought about the circular economy. Um, today, you know, people are beginning to think much, much harder about the resources in the planet and, and about the circular economy and about making sure that we actually utilize the resources to their maximum extent. Um, and so that spawns innovation because people will say, OK, well, I, OK, I get it. I realize I can't have a linear economy. I can't just go keep digging it out of the ground, using that resource and then discarding it. Because eventually, at some point, whatever it is, you're going to go to the ground and the, the cupboard's going to be bare. Um, yeah. And so, you know, this is a this is a realization, I guess, that that as a species we are having, but but you know, it's it's not always been there. And so the drivers for actually recycling have not been there. And so nobody's really applied themselves to say, how do I really fix this? Whereas, you know, more recently, people, you know, we were asking ourselves the question, okay, plastic's a great material, huh? How come only 10% is recycled. That's crazy. Right. You know, that's millions right. of tons of great material. Surely you can do better with it. And once you start asking that question, then, then you know, you come up with innovations as to uh, how do you overcome the inherent problems. Are there, uh, you know, your model is more of a, um, you know, multi-unit, smaller scale use, it sounds like, in many places. But are there treasure troves of gigantic amounts of plastic that you guys could use and do also some large high-scale operations? Um, well, well, I mean, and there could be, um, you know, in the sense of, uh, you know, those treasure troves are called Los Angeles, they're called New York, they're called Chicago, they're great big conurbations where there's lots of people, and, and where there's lots of people, there's lots of plastic. Um, but, you know, you then ask the sort of question and you say, is the right thing to do to build a big, big um, facility and take a lot of plastic to it? And and you say, well, actually, no, because... Um, if if you build one facility and it costs you whatever it costs you, you build the next facility, it's going to cost you pretty much the same, okay? Because each time you've got to find a new piece of ground, you've got to do the planning, you've got to do the permitting, you've got to you could do the engineering, and whereas actually everybody understands that you know the the car, for example, and and good old Henry Ford, your uh, your countryman who who said, look, you know, everybody could have a car if you have an assembly line, because uh, manufacturing mass production is is capable about bringing the cost right down you know if, right. if you build one car it might cost you a million pounds go, go and ask a formula one guy if you build a million cars they may cost you 10 or twenty thousand dollars you know um so you know we know that if we do things in high volume you get the capital cost down and so you know, go back to my my thing about uh, you could build one refinery and take the plastic to it in the world. Everybody knows that doesn't work. So if you make an assembly line and you get low capital cost that you can take to where the plastic already is at the small centers, then then you pick up the 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 the, the big volume of plastic, but in lots of different places. It's a distributed model. Well, I can see that this could change the oil dependency of various countries. You know the countries that may have no oil themselves uh, but use tons of plastic you know this may yeah. reduce their reliance on third-party oil you know um, another thought comes to mind is 
why not leverage the infrastructure of refineries, not take over the refinery, but, you know, when they're not uh, operating at full capacity, maybe add on a cracker to, you know, for plastic. So uh, you could use that existing infrastructure and, you know, refine some of the plastic there into more oil and use their existing distribution distribution network to get the oil out to people. So these are just ideas on, on I guess, how it could uh, affect the economy. That's true. I mean, so... So, so one of the things that people have to bear in mind is is that you know in plastic there's lots of contamination that you wouldn't find in the oil, and so you know um, people print on plastic, and so you have heavy metals. You sometimes combine the plastic with other materials like chlorine to make PVC or fluorine to make um, PTFE. Um, you put glass into plastics to glass fillers. You put talc in. You put fire inhibitors. You, you know there's there's all sorts of additives that get put in. And so one of the parts of our process that adds a, a layer of complexity to this is it's filtering out at the molecular level some of the things that the oil guys don't want in the oil stream. And so you've got to take the plastic and, yes, you're turning it back into oil, but while it's in a hot gas phase, you're stripping out a lot of the uh, contamination from that that's been put in to make the plastic uh, the quality that it is, and you're left then with the, with the hydrocarbon material, which the oil guys want. And then they can put that into their cracker. And, you know, we don't do that. We just sell that back to the, the guys that have got the crackers. And and then at big scale, again, they're turning that back into to more plastic, utilizing, the, you know, the, the petrochemical facilities that they have. You well, know, what if do you they guys to do with the, uh, with the contaminants? I would think over time they would build up. And if you have a distributed model, you'd have many, many sites with contaminants, as you call them, you know, fluorine, uh, chlorine, et cetera. And now all these sites need to be compliant and not create truly hazardous waste from it. So how do you, what do you do with the waste that you quote unquote create from this separation process? Yeah. So, you know, there's two things to be said on that. So, so first of all, if people um, discard plastic or burn plastic, you've still got all of those materials are still, you know, so the materials are not being created by the process. They were there in the plastic originally. So, right. If you discarded them in the landfill, they're in the landfill. If you if you throw them in the sea, they're in the sea. If you process it through a process like this, now they're actually into into drums and they're in containers, which you can now do something with. And so it's very low volume stuff. You know, like one two percent of the of the the, the the weight of the plastic that you take through the process. And so what you now do is you transport that back to regional centres and you reprocess that material. You know, heavy material, heavy metals are, are valuable materials. Um, and and you make things from that material. You know, we don't want to recite. We don't want to um, dispose of anything. I mean, you know, and hence there are other recycling technologies then, which are actually can actually help you to recycle the fillers that were in the plastics. So how much of uh, how much? Well, I don't know the term for it. What percentage of what you work on you can't do anything with? What what percentage becomes truly waste so far? Yeah, so we've been doing some uh, some work with the um, a whole bunch of people in in a thing called the New Plastics Economy, um, which which has been inspired by Ellen MacArthur and McKinsey in the World Economic Forum, and and a whole bunch of people got together and they sort of said like you know what proportion of plastic could be recycled if you put together the best technologies available today. And that's mechanically, and this process, which we would re- classify as chemical recycling because you're going back to the chemistry of it, if you like, to, to recycle it. Um, and between the two, we were convinced that you can get about 90, 92% of all plastic could be recycled, and then the rest is actually a little bit more difficult, and so maybe there's a case for landfilling or burning that stuff. But the vast majority of plastic technically is recyclable, 
what's important now is you have to build capacity. Um, it's all very well that we've got a plant which actually does this, um, but now what we want to do is is um, get our assembly line on stream so that we can actually make hundreds of plants a year, and 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 that you can put capacity around the world, which could actually make a a, a real real difference. So just to give you an idea, you know, our mission, if you like, in our business is by 2027, um, we want to be able to have sufficient machines to process 7 million tons of, or make 7 million tons of oil. Our slogan is seven in 27. Um, that means you'd be recycling about 10 million tons of, of plastic each year and making 7 million tons of, of oil. Um, and, you know, we've now established a, um, or have a, a, a factory or a, a shed that we'll be able to do 200 machines a year in. And so that will allow us to actually achieve our um, ambition. Now, in a sense, that doesn't sound like a big number, 10 million tons. But you have to remember that there's only 3 million tons of c capacity for recycling plastic in all of Europe today. Right. So well, the oil you trade, can you express it in barrels of oil instead of uh, tons of oil? That might be a, you know, for the oil industry at least, it might be a better comparison. Uh, so, so seven uh, seven million tons of oil um, is uh, forty nine uh, million barrels of oil. It's about seven barrels. Are there, are there any are there any countries where that's their their actual production rate, or what can, what can you relate that to? Forty nine million barrels of oil. What's what's that equivalent to like right now? Yeah, that's that, that's a very good question. I uh, and, and I don't know the answer to that off my head, but I uh, um I could find that out. Well, it's something to think about for marketing purposes. You know, if you're able to say like, oh, we have you know one twentieth the uh, production of Saudi Arabia recycled in terms of barrels of oil. You know, it's just a it's just a good marketing thing to say. That's why I bring it up. Yeah, sure, sure. I'll uh, I, yeah. am I going to work that out in uh, <laughs> as soon as I finish the call. <laughs> right on. Very cool. Um, what, what's the next stage? So you want to build out this capacity, make an assembly line, like you said, and make this, uh, you know, omnipresent. Is that enough? Or are you working on other technologies, other materials to recycle? Or is this is this plenty of work to do? Uh, I like, I mean, this is this is an enormous amount of work. I mean, um, you, you know, there's, there's the best part of nine or 10 million tons of plastic entering into the ocean every year. Um if if we could actually build 10 million tons of, of, of plastic recycling capacity and site that at the right locations and and completely um, slow down and and maybe even let's hope stop the the the, the main flows of plastic into the ocean, um, then I would have said that that was actually uh, that was a pretty good uh, that was a pretty good job. <laughs> would it be worth it to park you know several of these units at various landfills? to pull all the plastic out or is that too difficult? Um, you know, what if you, I don't even know if this would be crazy, but if you parked them in the, in the gyres in the Pacific ocean, the other oceans where there is plastic, is there enough there to make a nice feedstock for one of these units or multiple units? Um, yeah. I mean, look, the, um, I, I love the fact that there are some people going to the, uh, the ocean and going to the gyres and trying to pull those out. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, that's a great thing to do. But while the system um, is such that, you know, and I mean, the, the waste system is such that enormous amounts are going back into the ocean every year, I suspect it's going to be going into the ocean faster than people can get it out. And, yeah. and anyway, it, it, it's pretty difficult to get it out. Um, and so, you know, our real focus is to say, well, let's build capacity for recycling it on land. 
and let's get rid of the drivers which actually uh, are making people um to, uh, you know dispose of it into the ocean and so by working if we can stop it going into the ocean and then you get others which are taking out what's already in the ocean bringing that back out albeit more slowly um then then you know we can uh, we can make the world a better place and we're very um happy then that we can cite you know our machines where their ships dock up and uh, bring that plastic back to land um we'd be very happy to uh, to munch all of that material and turn it back into into oil yeah well makes sense well very interesting um one one last question you know again i, I i'm an outsider in all of this and i'm maybe not exactly the same perception as the average person but what worries me is that people have not done a true energy balance. You know, where they say, oh, plastic's bad, uh, paper's good, you know, or electric cars are good and gas cars are bad. It, it, what gave me a hint on this is when you talked about plastic being so light and so easy to transport and having actually a very small carbon footprint. Have you or someone else actually done or seen true side-by-side -side comparisons of using plastic versus paper versus glass versus you know, or electric cars versus gas cars. If you put all the factors in, what is the true trade-off, or what is the true energy balance of each? Yeah, look, I mean, there, there are a lot of people beginning to do those sorts of studies, and, you know, it's quite often reported that, you know, a paper bag can have six times the carbon footprint of a plastic bag. Um, hmm. You know, so um, if, if you take a bit of steak and you actually put it into a plastic packaging, the steak can actually have around six kilos of, of carbon dioxide equivalent associated with it and <clears throat> um, the, the, the packaging may only be 35 grams and that that 35 grams of carbon dioxide equivalent in the packaging can actually make the difference between that steak actually being eaten and being useful and and actually just going to waste um, and so you know um, there's without doubt plastic packaging is is a miracle material when it comes to carbon footprint what we must make sure is is that it remains a miracle material by being recycled you know um but you know i'll often say to people look you know when the egyptians started with glass nobody really considered the recyclability of glass you know but the right. people began recycling followed but probably hundreds of years later you know when bessemer you know first invented steel you know nobody really thought about recycling as steel but you know that followed in the decades that that, that came um you know, now now it's plastic, and so plastics recycling uh, credentials are, are terrible at the moment. Um, but there's no reason for them to be terrible, apart from you know it's still a you know in the in the scheme of things it's still a pretty modern material. And so you know now the technologies are being created to be able to recycle the plastic so that we can enjoy the the um, you know the sort of environmental benefits of plastic. Um, without being uh, worried about the, uh, the 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 downside of of plastic waste. Yeah, that's what I mean. Plastic has been demonized, but I wonder if it should be. You know, if we saw the real data on it, I wonder what the real story would be. So that's why I asked you. And you, you, you think any, about the, um, yeah, you think about the efficiency that's, of cars. You know, and the cars actually being made so much lighter as a result of of plastic materials. You know, people are making planes almost as dreamliner is is it often regarded as the plastic plane, and so it becomes hugely more fuel efficient. You know, hospitals actually the the prevention of disease um, has been uh, you know attributed a lot of it to you know the, the the disposable plastic kind of capability, which keeps people safe. You know, so um, plastic has some tremendous benefits to to the environment, the society. Um, we mustn't just say 
okay, just because plastic in the ocean is terrible, and trust me, it is terrible, um, we, what we must do is say, well, actually, we've got a miracle material. Now, how do we make this material even better by actually making it truly recyclable? Um, right. And so, you know, we think technologies like ours will actually um, make that truly recyclable um, and and make it so that it's way, way better as a packaging material than glass or metal um, for the right applications because it's low carbon footprint. You know, it's, it's carbon that will, you know, really kill us as a as a species that you know our our environment is under threat from from carbon ultimately and what we must not do is in an effort to actually reduce the the strain of of of, of or or the the the, the sort of uh, the, the 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 hurt that we feel when we see sort of whales with their guts full of plastic and that kind of stuff which is which is very distressing what we mustn't do is let's say okay let's ban plastic what we must do is say, right. okay, we need to roll out the technologies which actually can make that miracle material truly recyclable, make it valuable even when it's a waste, so that we don't actually discard it. Well, very good. So, what are what are some resources for people to learn more about your company and what you're working on, and and maybe you know recycling in general? Where would you point them to? Um, well, uh, obviously, on our company, the best place to go is our website. So recycling technologies, all one word, .co .uk. Um, and 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 uh, you know we're always uh, grateful to hear uh, what people think. Um, and then recycling in general, I mean certainly in the UK, um, there are things like RAP, um, W R A P, the Waste Resource Action Plan, .co .uk, um, which actually do some some great sort of stuff on uh, on recycling. But look, I mean, pretty much anywhere that you are, I'm sure if you type in "How do I recycle?", um, you're going to get your in-country kind of uh, um, websites and government-sponsored websites, which actually, you know, instruct you as to what to do. You know, my my concern is is that at the moment, when it comes to plastic and particularly in plastic, because there isn't capacity to recycle it properly, because the technologies haven't been nurtured, if you like. As yet, um, it's a very confusing picture. And so, you know, mm. people want to recycle you know, bottles, but they want you to take the tops off. They want to recycle stuff, but they always say, can you take the labels off? You know, can you just put that in, but not put this color? And, and, and I think a lot of people just get very confused as to what they can recycle, what they can't recycle. And so they just say, OK, I'm going to just drop out of this as, a, um, a, as an overall scheme. Whereas, right. you know, we're now working on a, a project in, in Scotland where when it comes to fruition, We'll be able to say to people, if you think it's plastic, put it in. So you can have a, a plastic recycling bin, and doesn't matter what color it is, doesn't matter whether it's a fruit, you know, um, a confectionery wrapper, whether it's actually a pouch, whether it's a black plastic, it doesn't matter whether it's your your patio table and you cut it up and stuffed it in, doesn't really matter. Let the system take care of that because 90% of it will be recyclable. Um, and and so you know by combining these technologies and then making it easy to communicate to the consumer. I think a lot of people will be very pleased at being able to, you know, engage with the recycling process much more um, with much more confidence, simply because they know they can't get it wrong. If it's plastic, it was the right thing to do to put it in, um, mm. and and I think that will be kind of quite a game changer. Well, that's great, Adrian. I really appreciate your time and insight. I hope I didn't drive you crazy with the questions, but I'm I'm just really interested in this space, and I wanted to get more accurate info. So thanks for coming on the podcast today. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's really great talking to you. And uh, when it when it comes out, then do let me know and uh, I'll be very keen to listen.
You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.